Amen. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, if you didn't know, that's uh, Joyce Satorius. She's our office administrator here. She does a lot of stuff around the church and helping keep things running smoothly around here. And she's been a part of NBC since um, very close to the beginning. And um, today we're, we're jumping into our next uh, talk in this series where we talk about stepping into the burden that God has placed. And she was, you know, a result, right, of, of someone... Um, answering the call, stepping into the burden about what Scripture teaches about, especially about salvation. And that's what we're, we're talking about. And we've been in this series for about five weeks. Uh, just a reminder, you can always go back and listen to or watch um, some of the, the sermons. Uh, Pastor Earl's been leading us through this series, looking at our articles of faith and talking about um, what are the things that define us as a church, and how do those call us into mission? And uh, so excited to, to be here this weekend. What a great set of, of songs, and thanks um, for that great performance and dance and song. And it's, it's just awesome. Celebrating salvation is, uh, and it, it always gets me fired up. I, I mean, it, you just, you think about and meditate on what Christ has done for us, and that's where we're going to go this morning. So again, welcome, welcome to those who are streaming um, online. Uh, thanks for joining us here. And uh, this week, our topic is salvation and rescue, and talking about the question that, that is, is in this book, and if you have it, you can follow along and take notes. We'll get there in a few minutes. But how does God rescue me? How does God rescue me? And you look up uh, the dictionary definition, rescue to free from confinement, danger or evil. And I thought, well, what was a, a story of rescue, you know, from my own past? And uh, one of the first things that popped into my head was uh, this time when I was at Huntington Beach. I grew up in Southern California. And I know for some of you who grew up in the Midwest, you're like, what's that? That's what a beach looks like. Okay. And there's the ocean. Um, it's salt water, not, you know, this lake water or whatever. But uh, I was there, and, and every summer, these, our bunch of churches would come together, and we'd have this bonfire on the beach and do worship and kind of hang out. And I would I'd see all these kids who I would go to camp with in the summer, and, and uh, we, would, we would hang out. And it was a good time, and I had my boogie board. I grew up going to the beach, just pretty comfortable in the water. Had my boogie board, cheap little thing, and, and, and went out to catch some waves. My buddy Jeff, who was a senior, I, I think I was a sophomore at the time, he went out too and swam out, was a pretty strong swimmer. And we get out there pretty far, and we realize, like, we've, we've drifted pretty far, but it's all right. And he's waving me over and came over and is holding on to my boogie board because, you know, we'd been out there for a while, probably like at least an hour or so. And he was getting a little bit tired because um, we were out where he couldn't touch. And, um, but we didn't think much of it until, you know, out of, out of the waves, out of the water, you know, David Hasselhoff comes butterflying in, right? With his like little red buoy and stuff. And he's it's this lifeguard for Huntington Beach lifeguard. And he comes in and he's like, hey, you guys, you know, are you guys okay? I'm like, yeah, I think we're all right. He said, did you not see the signs for the rip currents, you know, that are going to pull you out in the sea? And it, it makes sense, right? Because you look at, it's like rip current, R-I-P, okay? It's like that thing's going to suck you out and you're going to rest in peace at the bottom of the ocean, you know, for uh, the rest of eternity. And uh, we're like, no, no, we didn't, even, we didn't even realize that we were in need 
of this rescue. So he told my friend to just grab onto his little buoy while he butterflied on that. It, I, look, I'm sorry if you're a swimmer and you're like, that is a horrible butterfly. I'm never good at butterfly. Freestyle is kind of my thing. But he butterflies all the way back and, he, and he's like, oh, do you have, you have fins, you know, that'll help you? I'm like, no, I don't have any fins. Why are you boogie boarding without fins? I'm like, Bro, stop judging me. Step off. Okay. All right. So I'm going back and I'm following them. And he's kind of leading us to because he knows the current. He knows the water. He knows the way out. And, and thankfully, you know, we were, we were rescued and didn't get dragged out in the sea. Um, but this idea of, of salvation and rescue is such a, a key central thing to who we are as Christians. And, and this, this key concept because... Um, uh, and you don't have to be a, a Christian, right, to, to, to think about what is the purpose of this world, this life, and what's up with all the evil and suffering. Not only that, death, uh, we can't escape from it. So how do we, how, how do we know what's going to happen when we die? And where are we going to go? And how are we going to get rescued out of that evil and corruption? How can we avoid hell and get to like the good place, right? Has anybody seen this show? All right, okay, good. A couple of people, like not very many actually. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, last night there's absolutely no, I said, hey, anybody watch that? And they're like, nope. Like, All right, let's move on. Um, but essentially it's a, uh, the reason I bring it up is because, you know, even as a culture and entertainment industry, they recognize that people struggle with this question of how do you get to the, uh, how do you get to the good place when you, um, when you die and like what do you have to do and what kind of person do you have to be here on earth in order to know that, you know, you're going to go somewhere when you die. And of course, there, there are some out there too who believe that there is no place. You just cease to exist. You just stop. But um, in, the, in the Christian circles, right, in, in, in the church world, oftentimes the idea about salvation, when salvation is discussed, it's more um, about where we go when we die. And that can be a problem because it can leave us with a very unha- unhelpful escapist theology. Like how do we just escape out of this wicked world and we'll kind of like do a bunch of cool stuff and have some great experiences while we're here, but how do we eventually get out of this world of suffering and death and into the good place? But scripture doesn't talk about salvation in that way at all. I mean, it it doesn't talk about how we can escape out of this world. It's more than a decision that we make. Salvation is more than just coming into a, a, you know, a life where we have to obey arbitrary rules. It's more than life after death. And I want to just talk for a few minutes about how salvation fits within God's big story, right? And so when you go back to creation, I want, I want us to view creation as like God creates this cosmic temple, okay? When you think in the Old Testament, the temple was the place of worship, right? God, who is the, the, the most good, most glorious being, you know, in all of time and all of existence, the creator God of all things creates this cosmic universal temple. And what does he do? In the middle of the garden, in the middle of this temple, he places essentially priests, right? Two individuals created in his image to represent him to all of, all of, the, all of the world, all of the universe. They're 
to be his image bearers. Now, um, from that, obviously, we know, if you're familiar with the biblical story, we know of the fall, that those image bearers decided to, to try to live life apart from God and put themselves in God's place and say, you know what, we don't need his guidance. We don't need his rules. We don't need to be connected with him. In fact, we can place ourselves at the center of it all. And it went, it was a disaster. It went horribly wrong to the point where evil, decay, and suffering went in. And, and, and some of you are very familiar, and I want to spend a couple moments, because I think if we don't, if we don't spend time thinking about the problem of evil, not just out there, but in us, um, we can forget what we need to be saved from. And then I want to wrap us up later in talking about what we are saved for, what we're saved for. Um, when we think about the problem of evil and suffering, uh, I was uh, reading a book earlier this year uh, by a guy named Jordan Peterson, and he talks, has a whole chapter talking about um, this issue of, of evil, and, and where does it come from, and how bad can it get? And listen, I know some of you, you know, as, as your job, you face some of this evil like every day, and you see it. And for some of us, we don't. But, but Peterson, in his book, had talked about um, the Columbine shooting, which happened when I was in high school, and I had a cousin who grew up in, in Colorado, and so I remember that being, you know, she wasn't there, she didn't go to that high school, that was a big impact, and it's in those kinds of situations and others. Come on, we know all of this, right? That we ask, well, where does this come from? Where does this come from? And so Peterson breaks down. He, the, he actually had, you know, you can access the journals of these individuals who committed these atrocities. It says these, he says these uh, murderous individuals had a problem with reality that existed at a religious depth. One of the members of the Columbine duo wrote, the human race isn't worth fighting for, only worth killing. Give the earth back to the animals. They deserve it infinitely more than we do. Nothing means anything anymore. And people, Peterson says, people who think such things view existence or being itself as inequitable and harsh to the point of corruption, and that human beings are contemptible, and they appoint themselves as the judge and jury of reality, and they find it wanting. The deeply cynical writer continues, when the shooter says, if you recall your history, the Nazis came up with the final solution to the Jewish problem, kill them all. Well, in case you haven't figured it out, I say, kill mankind. No one should survive. For such individuals, the, their experience of suffering and evil in the world caused them to resent the world so much that they said, just do away with it all. Just send the whole world to hell in a handbasket because that is where it is going anyway. That's how much... They suffered, and this is Peterson's comment here. Life and truth is very hard. Everyone is destined for pain and slated for destruction. Sometimes suffering is clearly the result of a personal fault, such as willful blindness, poor decision-making, or malevolence. In such cases, when it appears to be self-inflicted, it may even seem just. 
People get what they deserve, you might contend. But that's cold comfort, however, even when true. Sometimes if those who are suffering change their behavior, then their lives would unfold less tragically. But human control is limited. Susceptibility to despair, disease, aging, and death is universal. And in the final analysis, we do not appear to be the architects of our own fragility. We do not appear to have control over the evil and suffering and death that occurs out there and that occurs to us as a result of its existence in the world. And if we think about it, it's not just the stuff that's out there. He also says, um, quotes uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I won't get into, but uh, he says, says this, the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. And that's so, so true. I mean, just think about the suffering that, that you've just caused in your own life this week, right? I mean, just even in the little things, our own shortcomings, our fits of anger when our kids or our coworkers don't do what we want or lashing out at others because not satisfied what we see in ourselves, thinking less of or judging others in self-righteousness, resenting yourself, resenting your spouse, resenting your friends, resenting life itself, feeling lonely, isolated from others, deteriorating health, being mistreated, we become anxious, we can spiral down into depression, into dark places where literally the darkness can take over. And and partly it's what's happening to us, but also it's what's happening through us. And and, and at the end of the day, if we're honest with ourselves and we look at the evil that we are capable of, we can't even fathom how bad we can be. And it's by the grace of God that anything good happens or comes of our lives. A guy named uh, Leo Tolstoy, one of the greatest writers and, and thinkers of our time, a philosopher, he says, essentially, if you take God out of the equation, you just think about it rationally. Think about the problem of evil and suffering just at a rational level. And he says, according to rational knowledge, it followed that life is evil and people know it. They don't have to live, and yet they do live, just as I live, even though they know for so long that life is meaningless and evil. So if you take God out of the equation, you just think about the purpose. There's no purpose. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. If, If all we have is the grave, then everything that we do amounts to nothing in the end. He says there's four responses. You can either kind of be ignorant and retreat to like sort of this childlike state where um, you're just ignorant of what's happening. You can pursue mindless pleasure and experiences and hope to comfort yourself, you know, and all of those things until you finally meet death. You can continue with a life that's evil and meaningless, knowing beforehand that nothing's going to come of it but you don't have the courage to do anything about it. Or the fourth option is you can just end it all and say that life is meaningless and evil, so why, do I, why should I even go on? Evil and suffering, death and decay, and corruption have infected everything, and you don't have to believe in God to know that to be true. And I believe that in order to see the light to see the need for salvation, we have to know the darkness. 
We have to see that. We have to come face to face with the reality of sin and darkness in our own lives. And then we can see that when, when Jesus comes in and he preaches this message on the kingdom of God's rule and reign, and that there are situations where now people who were blind can now see. People who were working at this vocation and, 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 and life has now been, Jesus has transformed their work and vocation and their, their place in life. People who were walking without meaning or purpose or not knowing what their life was all about, Jesus brought it all together in his work and what he did. The reign of God and the kingdom of God, his justice, his mercy, his peace, his presence was all coming, coming in and through the power of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And all his followers had seen that and that's what his life and his mission was all about was to say, I know that there is evil and suffering and death and that there's this trajectory that the world seems headed on. But God has a new heavens and a new earth. He has this new creation where all things will be made new. And all of that is going to come in and through me. And his death and his resurrection was all about inaugurating the kingdom of God, the age to come, that life that you think is just a dream. Those, all your ambitions and all of your hopes and all of your desires, all the good that you want for yourself, for your kids, for your family, for the, your community, for the people around you. All of that is brought to light in and through Jesus. And it's so critical that we get that, that, that when we talk about salvation and the cross and when we sing about that and celebrate that, it's not just, oh, hey, let's kind of hang out here on earth until, you know, we kick the can and then we'll sort of fly away into, you know, some other spiritual, cloudly, heavenly dimension. No, God is doing something and he's done something in Christ and he's continuing that on until the consummation of all things. When he returns. Salvation is this. God gives humans an invitation to be raised to life in God's new heaven and new earth. Essentially in his kingdom. And he invites us into that life. And he invites us to participate in that life. It's all about resurrection. And that was at the heart of the burden of 79. That people would look at the gospel and see the glory of this salvation that comes as a result of the gospel. And that God offers to each of us. And so if you have notes, you can, we'll kind of break down some of the things that we've looked at or written down in our articles of faith here. We believe that salvation of lost humanity is holy of God by grace through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ by the merit of his shed blood, not on the basis of human merit or by works. Essentially, um, you know, what we're saying is it's his work, it's not mine. It's his work, it's not mine. This is, this is God's plan for both me as an individual and for the whole world. And he is working to make that happen. It's not us working to make it happen because left to our own and on our own devices, man, it's, 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 it's not going to end well. 
It's not going to end well. We can't develop the, the technology. Listen, we live in a great age, right? We live in like one of the most prosperous times in all of human history. And what we've experienced, um, you know, it's a whole nother story to say that, you know, a lot of the advances that we have and the, and the human rights and the value of human life, that all comes because there, was, there are these ideas in Scripture um, from God and through Jesus, that ethic has pushed that forward. And many people are benefiting from that. But this is all his work and it's not mine. And Jesus is the watershed, right? He's, he's the one who, if you leave Jesus out, we have nothing. And God doesn't owe us anything. And we have to come and recognize that man, I'm powerless to do anything about this problem. Anything I do good is by his grace. It's his work, not mine. Paul says he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace, a grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Second section here, it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit by which we receive eternal life and share in the divine nature. And here's what I want to focus on. It's divine participation, not just assimilation. It's this opportunity to participate in the salvation life that God offers. He doesn't want to just have us say a prayer and then get into a, you know, this club and then show up at a service each week. It's participation. NBC is a launching point for life on mission outside of these walls to, to experience and show the saved and changed life to a broken and hurting and dying world. So it's, and it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It's all by His power, and God gives us everything that we need. That's what Peter says. He says, uh, through these, through God's, God's grace and his glory, he's given us these very great and precious promises so that through them, you can participate in divine nature. Participate in divine nature. Salvation is a participation in that divine nature. Repentance, which is by faith in the substitutional death of Christ, is essential in it on the basis of Christ's substitutionary death, which provided propitiation for our sins. God declares us righteous, justified in Christ, having been reconciled to God. I know, okay, there's a lot of like big theological terms there, and they're dense, and we could spend a whole semester unpacking all of those ideas, but here's what I want to focus on for today. Repentance and faith are foundational. It's not until you see and, and, and recognize that God is bringing to light and bringing to life the whole world in and through Jesus, that we recognize that and say, I believe that that's true, and I'm going to surrender my life to it. Not until we recognize that, when we believe in what Jesus did, and that the whole world is transformed by his power, and the power of his death and resurrection— when you find yourself saying, yes, that's what it's all about. My life is not my own. It belongs to Christ. Everything I've longed for is in Jesus, and he's the only thing that's going to bring true and lasting joy. When you believe that by faith, 
and repenting of, and saying, it's not my kingdom, it's God's kingdom, and you're saved. God comes into your life and he reconciles you to him and he says, you are my child. And, and you are justified. You are made right with God. And he sees you no longer as part of um, the evil and, and uh, rebellion against him, everything that is working against him, but now you are a part of his, his family. And you are part of his plan working toward the kingdom that he is bringing. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God has, has, uh, has come near. Repent and believe that good news. Paul says, um, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Right? And there's a lot, like I said, the atonement and stuff. You can spend a whole series talking about all those words unpacked. But here's the final section here. All the redeemed once saved are kept by God's power and secure in Christ forever. The assurance of our salvation is based solely upon the promise of God's word. Here's what I want to focus on. All right? It's what God starts, God finishes. What God starts, God finishes. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, Be confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That our security, our salvation rests not in us, but in God. Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you. Because he holds on to it. Christ holds on to it. God's going to finish what he starts. And Pastor Earl quoted someone the other week. He said, we're all rough drafts of our future selves, right? We're all people in process, and that's that's okay. And it's okay to come in as you are. But it's not okay to stay as you are. To, to, that every week, every day we come before God and say, God, keep, keep working. I just give you my life. Keep working in me. Keep building me into what, what I need to be for your glory and your kingdom. And we can talk, I mean, how many of you guys have unfinished projects at home? Like you got this stuff that, okay, good. Yeah, you're in, I'm in good company then, right? I was going to show some pictures. Like I've, I knew my wife was going to be at one of these services. And um, I didn't want to be, you know, in the doghouse for like a week or whatever. Because uh, got, I've got like three or four unfinished projects at home. And, and you know, one of them some shelves. And, and one of them's our laundry room. And, and one of them is an invisible island in the kitchen that hasn't even been started yet, right? Um, and she's, it, and I'm like, baby, you, my Lord is a Jewish carpenter, okay? You married a youth pastor, all right? Um, this is what you got. I've got YouTube and a book and, and uh, but it's going to be finished. I know it looks like it, it's in progress, but, uh, or Jesus is going to return and it's not going to, not going to matter, all right? So, but, but God is, God is not, the, the problem when we don't grow, and we'll talk about sanctification next week, when we don't grow, it's because we have made a choice to not let God work, and work on our lives and grow us into who we want to be. But this is, this is a bigger picture of salvation than just, than just going to heaven when we die. Okay, so how do we step into that burden? Three things I want to hit on, all right? This week, salvation is a sign that death has been defeated. Salvation is a sign that death has been defeated. On the cross, Christ took on the full force of evil. 
death, decay, and destruction, right? It's like the more that they brought, the more power he was able to show. It's like, that. I, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Black Panther superhero movie, right? He's got that cool suit. And, and I thought about this when I was watching the movie. He's like, he has this suit where he gets hit and then it turns purple. And it's like the more that they hit him, the more like energy he stores. And then when he goes back to fight the bad guys, like he's even, it's even more powerful. And I, I thought, oh man, that's, that's, that's kind of cool. Cause it's like on the cross, Jesus took on I mean, not just the sins and all the evil that was happening at the time. Cosmically, everything was being brought onto him. And, and it seemed as if death had won. And after three days, he said, no. Like, death is defeated. Death is arrested. True life, real life can, be, can begin now in and through me. And it radically shaped the message of the disciples as they went out and said, we found and, and, and have come to know this living Savior who is now king over everything. Believe in him and follow his way and he will restore and transform you and your world. Death has been defeated. He is overcome. So know that some of the things that you're going to experience this week, stepping into this burden, proclaim that. Proclaim, death is defeated. Sin has no power over me. Salvation is about your whole, not just your soul. This is what I, this is what I want to emphasize right here, is that we can sometimes create this false dichotomy of, of sort of our physical life and our spiritual life. But Christ wants to redeem it all. We can't compartmentalize. Salvation affects your, your relationships, family, marriage, health, your leisure, your creativity, your reading, your entertainment. You have been set free to fully pursue freedom in Christ. It's not just about this, this, this you know, this, this body's going to, you know, rot and decay in the grave someday and our ghostly, you know, soul existence is going to happen. No, no, no. God, this, the scripture shows and talks about resurrection. Resurrection. And we experience resurrection now as we surrender to Christ and in the future when he brings all things and, and makes all things new. And the third thing here, salvation launches present mission. It launches present mission. You've been saved from something and for something. God wants to do something in you so that he can do something through you. So what does that mission look for your life? And, and I'm not talking about, yeah, this, it's, it's this big project. It's every little thing that we do in the name of Christ for the sake of the gospel because we've been saved. Paul says it well, right? He says we're God's handiwork. We've been saved through faith by grace. It's not works. He says we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this quote. It's the last one I'll share with you. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, um, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbors yourself will last into God's futures. There are activities that are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly or a little more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind. Um, they are a part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. 
that we have this great salvation. We have an opportunity to do and, and, and participate in what God is bringing to this world. How does your life reflect that? How do you step into that burden? Because here's what it looked like for two guys, Dick Seavers and Vernon Johnson. It looked like them saying, you know what? God has, has radically changed and transformed. He's saved us. It looked like them stepping into their hometown and saying, how can we create a community of people who love the scriptures and study the scriptures, who want to, who can invite more people to hear the message and experience the salvation? Where someone like a Joyce Satorius would come in and hear the message and have her life radically transformed and changed. It looks like a church that starts to, you know, has experienced, NBC's experienced, a lot of healthy years. We're not perfect. We've had healthy growth and there's been a, we've had a lot of fruitful ministry. Salvation looks like a church that says, yeah, that's great. But what if we started to pray about starting another campus and another community where we know there's also lost people? That we would raise up leaders and send out people to carry on sort of our DNA here so that we can do more great things for God's kingdom. I think about who could be the next, you know, Joyce in, in another community that, that we would, by faith, send people to go and start a new NBC community there. What does it look like in your life? What are you doing with this incredible great gift that God has given you. And I'm going to close in prayer, but I can't close today without just making the invitation. And so if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, and I just want to say, maybe your life is lacking that meaning and purpose, and you're like, yeah, I don't, it is meaningless. I don't know where I'm going, and I don't know what my life is about. God wants to invite you to a place where your life becomes much more because it becomes much more based on what he has created you for. And God invites you into that relationship and into that, into his new creation, into his new life. And today you can be raised to new life with Christ. And it's by simply saying, a prayer. You can just say a prayer and say, just, God, I surrender to you. God, I realize I'm a part of the evil and suffering in this world and that I need your forgiveness and I need to be raised to new life. God, I surrender my heart to you and I want to follow you and be a part of your new creation here and now. If you're at that point and that's your prayer and that's your heart, would you just, and just slip up your hand. I just would love to pray over you. Just pray that God would continue to, to, to come in and transform your life. Lord, I just, I pray over everyone this morning for us as Christians and followers who are trying to live out that burden, that salvation. 
that you would ignite our hearts to see the gospel, to see what Christ has done, and that would just motivate us to live on mission for you. I pray for those who are finding new life this morning. God, that you would provide people in their life who would come alongside and just love on them and help them to see how great you are, how good you are, that your glory and that your gospel would just come powerfully in and through their life this week, God. Thank you for being a God who raises dead to life. We love you, God. We love what you've done for us, and and we just, we surrender it all to you for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, if that's been your story, you know, this morning and you've made that or even recently and you just want to talk to a pastor about um, salvation and what that means for your life and next steps, um, be sure to talk to one of us. Uh, Pastors, uh, we have pastors around, Pastor Dave, Pastor Errol, Pastor Carlos, Pastor Brent, uh, myself, and we'd love to just have a conversation with you. Um, And next week we're going to be talking about what does that mean to train to be godly. So, um, uh, Thank you for worshiping with us this weekend. Have a blessed week and walk with God. Trust you in